Welcome back to another episode of The Right Shift. I'm your host, Tim King, here to guide you through the mystical mayhem that is freelance copywriting. Whether you're a newbie still trying to gain otherworldly insight on your first project, or a veteran who's invoked the serious power of copy, this is the place for you. Together we'll explore the highs, lows, and everything in between of this exhilarating caffeine-fueled journey. So get ready to dive into another story from the wild, wonderful world of freelance copywriting. Welcome to The Right Shift. Okay, people, get ready to summon the rebellion because we're about to embark on a wild ride. My next guest on the right shift is none other than the enchantress of words herself, Emma Cownley. With a decade of experience under her studded belt, Emma has been conjuring captivating copy that hits harder than a pyrotechnic power cord. She's the freelance B2C copywriter who's been setting the stage ablaze with her chaos-fueled copy, gracing the likes of massive global brands like Vans, Eastpac, and Timberland, while also bewitching the readers of Metal Hammer, Classic Rock, and Witchology Magazine with her potent prose. When she's not channeling the Elder Gods, you can also find her raising a little hell and giving advice over on LinkedIn and TikTok. So word witches and wizards, grip the edge of your seat and prepare to have your soul wrenched open because it's about to get esoteric up in here. Emma Cowley, welcome to The Right Shift. Oh my God, that's the best intro I've ever had to anything ever. Hello. Hey. So tell me, how did you get started in the world of copywriting? Um kind of by accident i didn't actually realize it was a job you could do <laughs> until i was doing it um i uh i graduated from an english literature degree into the recession had no idea what i was going to do ended up working at starbucks <laughs> i befriended some journalists at sci-fi now magazine because i was on the forum and i said how do you get a gig as sweet as that like what did you do and they said, oh, I, I studied journalism. So I went back to university for a master's, graduated into a really awful customer service job. But the only reason I got it is because I turned up to the interview with my writing portfolio. And I said, we could do, you know, a newsletter. I could do the blog. I can write the product descriptions. So they were kind of, they hired me as like a twofer. So like as a treat, I got to write the copy for them. And then as I started to look for other jobs to escape the hell that actually was that role that I was in, um, all the job descriptions were saying like copywriter. And I was like, well, damn, this is a job you can do. Um, so then I got my first proper copywriting job um, for a print company working across various brands. And that's how I got started. And they were really sweet to me. I was the only writer there because it was a super small startup. And um, they were basically training me on the job. I, I was kind of closely tied in with the heads of marketing. And when I would give like overly flowery copy, because obviously I'd come from English lit, they would kind of be like, here's why that's not going to work. Like people are coming here. This is the structure we need to convince them to buy. And so I was kind of learning on the job that you can't always be sexy. You've got to actually have strategy. And, you know, after several years learning with them, I just thought, I can't get any higher because I'm the only writer <laughs> here. Um, so I'm, I guess I'll just leave and uh, see what I get up to. And that leads us to today. Yeah. And I mean, look what's happened. Shouldn't be left in charge, really, should I? Well, I mean, should any of us copywriters be really left in charge? I think we've, we've all got our own weird ways of, of looking at things. 
So how long were you in that role for then? Um, so the proper copywriting role, I would say about... Was it that? <laughs> about four years, maybe? Okay.-ish. Um, but as I say, it was a pretty intense learning environment because I wasn't just writing for that brand. They had acquired kind of other print companies and also they launched kind of an Instagram wrapping paper where they wanted a really fun, cool kind of influencer thing. So I was writing in, in lots of different voices. So I felt challenged. Yeah, right. But by the end of my tenure there, it was it ended up just being one and it was essentially my voice. Oh nice. <laughs> so I was like you know, where else is there to go? Nowhere. You hit my second question there pretty pretty hard on. So it's a good segue. Um, you're one of the most on-brand copywriters I know of, like particularly. How did you, you know, first find that particular, you know, incredibly unique tone of voice that you usually like channel? Well, it's just my voice. I think I, people need to know what they're in for, <laughs> you know. I, I don't want anyone to hire me under the under the premise that they're going to be working with anyone normal um <laughs> and it's also it's just so much easier isn't it and also if you have to do marketing for your own business it's never pleasant it's never fun pretty much every freelance writer i've ever spoken to just loathes the idea of writing their own marketing so i just think if if i can make it fun and i can kind of just be a bit tongue-in-cheek with it and a bit more playful it makes the whole thing a lot more enjoyable and it's often quite fun to see how far i can push it how cheeky i can be and get away with it well i mean i think that's that, that, that's the brilliant thing i think and look i mean i try that a little bit myself i try and write some sort of punchy stuff and but then eventually i start to you know, get into that ah is this actually selling anything for me or doing anything and then I, I start overthinking it and it becomes like middling and really boring stuff and i throw it out and delete it and start again and try again and it's just i keep going to that sort of cycle sometimes so You'd be surprised how many people do that, though, because I went viral on TikTok a couple of times a few weeks ago in quick succession mm. and had a ton of people book consultations with me off of the back of that. And basically everyone on the call says that. Oh, wow. That they want to do this. They're not quite sure how they want to say it. And they overthink it and they don't do it. And I'm just like, just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. No, just get I, on with it. I like it. Don't think about it like that. Because all you never know how it's going to go. Some of the stuff, some of the posts that I've been sitting on in my pipeline for a while, because I'm like, mm, this just isn't very interesting. Like, mm. but then I run out of things to do, and I'm like, I'll just post it. You know, fuck it. Um, <laughs> I want to get something out, and um, it just blows up, and everyone's like, Oh my god, you've blown my mind. And I'm like, Wow. Well, it, you know, if I'd followed my intuition and not posted it, where would we be? Get out of your own way. You know? Yeah, I, I I wish I could. I, I probably should. Um, actually, to that to that fact, um, I think I spotted on TikTok. Uh, you put up a, it might have been one of the ones you went viral for. Um, you were talking particularly about your content strategy and how that like you had this sort of this one way of thinking, but then you sort of relooked at that and and unpacked it in a different way, and it's it's led you to you know, I suppose more success. I suppose. Do you know who triggered that? It was Grace Hall. Do you follow her on LinkedIn? I, I don't myself. Oh, I just love her. And um, I was just looking at her posts and I was like, she is so good. 
<laughs> she just sells herself, but she's so entertaining. And at the end of every post, it's kind of like, oh, hire me, reach out to me. You can reach me for this, this, and this. And I was like, why am I not doing that? Like, we've got the same kind of approach to the posts that we're doing. It's just she's actually trying to get a business lead, and I'm titting around entertaining <laughs> my fellow writers. And it, it was a, it was a slow descent into chasing vanity metrics and engagement because fellow writers are always going to show up and they're always going to be like yeah what she said yeah i agree with you and you, you get all these comments and all these reactions and you you really feel like you've nailed it but then you think but has that translated into business leads no you could write one post with no engagement but if the right client sees it and they book you then that was a successful post even though it doesn't look successful to the rest of the world whereas i've had multiple posts that have got you know hundreds of reactions and i haven't made a dime off of them so i just thought forget about all the engagement focus on writing stuff that demonstrates my skill because i think also a lot of us fall into the trap on LinkedIn of being like, I'm a funny writer. Oh, I'm disruptive. Are you? Because I can't see it. All I hear is you telling me that that's what you are. Like, you've not shown me. Yeah. There's no evidence of this. Yeah. We can all say, I can say that I'm my copy grants wishes and will magically make your dick grow. Doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> I can't prove that, but I can say it. If you could say that and have it and prove it, I mean, I think you've got a, that's, that's a million dollar industry right there. <laughs> Something to look into. Well. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, prove it. Get bits out of your portfolio and show how you did it. Or take a piece of copy that's not so good and redo it. Dave Harland does that all the time. He's like, this is some shit copy. Here's how I would do it and all the various approaches. you. And you think, he really can do it. I've seen it. Mm. And it's helpful. You know, no wonder he, you know, has made a name for himself because he's showing you and obviously posts like that take a really long time to write and to plan but ultimately it's going to pay dividends rather than just trying to be really hmm. clever and post a meme that's going to amuse people for a couple of seconds um might get some engagement but it won't turn into a sale and ultimately isn't that what we're there for that said, Dave seems to have this weird thing where he just seems to nail them out like day after day as well. I've seen on LinkedIn sometimes just, you know, for a while. I'll be like, where does he get his stuff? Like, how, how is he coming up with it that quickly? Obviously, he's, got a, he's got, probably got a pipeline of it all just like in the background running away. But yeah, wow. It just seems like he, he keeps pushing that out pretty quickly. I think he's just really good at spotting an idea. Yeah, absolutely. Like when he sees something and has a reaction to it, he's like, okay, there's something in that because I've seen that and I felt repulsed by it. So like, there's something there that I can do something with. I think that that's, that's partly where that comes from. So you, you seem to write a lot for, you know, in, in the more, so it's business world, that kind of, I won't say edgy brand, but I'll say like, you know, more like alternative brand. So like you've mentioned before in the intro, like Eastpac and, and Vans and North Face. And you know, there's a few others, you've got Timberland, you've got some other stuff out there. Um, how have you managed, I suppose, and I think the listeners are probably pretty interested in, how have you managed to, you know, promote yourself to those sorts of brands and, and you, know, you know, get in the front door? Well, some of those came through an agency that I worked with and I was very careful to always show up to any networking events that they did and kind of talk to the people that were assigning the, the jobs so they can see what I look like 
and how I am. So if a brand comes through the door that is geared towards the alternative market, I'm the first person that they would think of. Um, and it's easy for, for me to write for my own people, as it were. Um, and I think a lot of, I don't know how to articulate it, like muggle folk, you know, non-alternatives um, are very intimidated by the alternative. They're like, oh, they're the edgy crowd. They're the cool crowd. Yeah. I, I wouldn't know where to start. Mm. Um, so that, you know, defaults to me automatically, which is quite nice. And then when you've got a couple of those and you're showcasing them, then you can perpetuate the momentum and get more through the door um but it's also things like just showing up on social media showing my face showing my interests talking about my interests linking what i do back to that kind of thing so that that's what i become known for and then when my peers hear an opportunity that fits that i'm the first person they think of so it's really kind of creating that that name for yourself and then you will automatically get the jobs because there isn't anyone else that has the well there it there's tons of people but i'm the easy option because i'm overtly out there doing it talking about it all the time and stuff yeah 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 you're the one who's who's managed to not only just embody the culture i suppose of what they're looking for but then also you present yourself to them be there be be available be be aware yeah I mean, it, to the point where I had one client that was trying to appeal to the alternative market. Um, it was the uh, Electric Sugar Elopements, the Las Vegas elopement company for alternative couples. And they didn't know anything about the alternative scene. Right. And they were just like, we don't, we don't even have a voice. Um, just defer to you. You do it and, and we'll just go. And I handed it in and they were like, we could even go a bit further. And I was like, oh my God, yes. Um, so they trusted me implicitly. I had stuff in there like, put your horns up oh, nice. for this, give the ring finger. I put song lyrics in there. I made references to stuff that they just would not have any idea about. And they just went with it. They didn't even question it. They were like, well, she's from the scene. It's it's an authentic voice from the scene. We're in no position to question what she's given us. <laughs> um, so it was just free reign, basically which is really nice. Have you rallied back around that business and said, hey, um, like, oh, it's just seen how they're going for like 12 months later and, and are, they, are they still rocking that same voice? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep, I follow I follow them um, on TikTok and I try and stay in touch because as far as clients go, when, whenever I've done an assessment of all of my clients to kind of figure out who I want more of, you know, I, t I tend to do it quite regularly. I just list everybody down. And I kind of do like a pumpkin plan. I don't know if you've heard of that, where you kind of list out your immutable laws of your business and you rank and score every client. They're always at the top, these guys. So even though they don't need me now, I'm going to keep that contact up, keep in touch with them, look at what they do, comment on their things, just let them know that I'm still around, you know, just in case they ever need me again, which they have a couple of times, which is nice. But they are, for me, the ultimate. All right. So that's, that's your, like, kind of, as I said, copy for, for businesses. What's the allure of kind of that, uh, the more witchy kind of eclectic art sort of stuff that you're into? And why do you love particularly conjuring words for that kind of market? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Why do I love it? Well, it is where my interest is. And I think that there's a lot of creativity to be had there 
in terms of not just in terms of the language you're able to use, but in terms of the ideas behind it, because your kind of spiritual practice can always be tailored. So one person's full moon ritual, there's always a basic outline, but then you could say, well, how about this? And what if we did it, you know, with these deities or what if we did it like that? And so that there's ultimate customization. So when you're writing for clients like that, and maybe they have like a product, like a bath oil. In terms of a magical practice, there's so much you could do with a product like a bath oil. You can empower it for this, you know, you can use it as part of a self-care ritual. You could build, you know, like you could do tons with it. And so I get quite excited about the possibilities. It's not like, a, you know, a pencil actually that's a bad example because you can do a lot with a pencil but um <laughs> do you know what i mean like if someone's like we need you to sell this pencil i could be like all right well yeah yeah there's you know yeah. finite things you could do with a pencil but when someone's like it's a magical bath oil i'm like right hold hold my you know hold my drink <laughs> Let me get yeah, yeah, yeah. so i think that i i got this there's that but also again <laughs> i'm very aware that i'm writing for my own people so there's a comfort and an ease. Uh, I think that one of the things that holds me back in my career is the fear of getting it wrong. I That is one place where I will always get in my own way. And once I even really ruined a job and had to leave the project because I was questioning myself, had no confidence, I couldn't trust the brief, I couldn't trust the client to tell me to articulate properly what they wanted. I wasn't in a strong enough position to push back or quiz them. Um, and I think that element of self-doubt gets in the way and really makes an exciting opportunity into a nightmare. So when I can write for my own, the things I feel comfortable with and I'm knowledgeable about, there is no imposter syndrome because I've been practicing since I was 12 and I've been to conventions and I've read books and I know people. So I just feel very, very comfortable. Um, and there's so much evidence to suggest to me that I'm more than capable of doing this and doing it well and doing something very exciting. Like I'm comfortable enough to go to a more exciting place with it and um, test it. Whereas if I feel unsure, then I'm happy to go to the sufficient level and be like, well done, you've done a sufficient job with something that you weren't sure. <laughs> so I think that that's where the allure <laughs> is. Staying within safe topics, but being inventive in safe territory. Yeah, for sure. And like, I suppose some of those those topics particularly, like as you said, if something's a bit more magical, it, it's, it has more exciting language you can use with it too. It's something that you, you really, you can work into the, the imagery and the visual sort of aspects of language and things. And it's... Mm, it's very evocative. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we nearly segued into another question I always ask all of my guests anyway, and that's to tell me a tale of a writing nightmare you've had to face in your career, particularly if you've managed to, uh, you know, finally exercise those demons at the end. Yeah, do you know what? I've got a couple of really good ones, but I think that that particular one was the worst one. So I was writing for a dating app oh, wow. that they wanted to launch. And like, I have never really been on a date. Like I married my first boyfriend yeah, right. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't meet him until I was 19. So like, 
I've got no experience. <laughs> I, I went on Bumble BFF once to find a friend, which is sounds awful when you say it. But I was like, I just really want a, like a friend, like a girlfriend to hang out with. And the first girl I met on there was amazing, and we were perfect match. And I just came off the app, like <laughs> found the perfect girl immediately. We were like best friends. It was awesome. Um, so I was like, oh shit. Um, and I should have known that it was going to be nightmarish because I don't know. If, if you know, but I do, I used to do a series on YouTube called the red flag chronicles where, where freelancers would send me their, their nightmare stories and I'd, kind of, wow. I'd read them out and then I'd kind of be like, oh, this is what I would have done and kind of like have a discussion. Oh, wow. And almost all of those have a company founder that's basically a fucking psycho, you know, like a, like a. Patrick Bateman, he's oh, charismatic. No. Yeah, he takes but... up the room. He's kooky. Yeah. He's like, oh, in this office, we have pineapple every Friday. Well, you know, right. yeah. stupid <laughs> like that. Um, and he was one of these guys, really bright white teeth, that clearly Da Vinci veneers, pan, you know, oh, I'm calling from Tel Aviv on the beach. I'm far too busy to do this or to do that. He wasn't reading anything I sent him because I sent him a proposal that was very meticulously itemized and he signed it and dated it and returned it to me. And then I kind of said, okay, here's where I'm going to start. And then he, he came back and said, no, we don't need this or that. And I was like, you fucking signed off on it in the proposal. You've signed off on deliverables you didn't need or want. You haven't read anything. Mm. And that kind of really got me feeling a little bit, nervous yeah right um i got to the end of that stage of the project and managed to get my stuff signed off and by that point i was like get out if he approaches you again say you're busy don't work with him you've had a near escape fucking remember this yeah but then obviously a few months go by right and um, work is getting pretty thin on the ground and he comes back and he's got this thing and he wants me to do this website and this landing page and i take the work because i'm a mug <laughs> and it just turned into a nightmare because it was just iteration after iteration after iteration he didn't know what he wanted but he'd know it when he saw it you know kind of pulling my work apart on calls in front of people when everyone was weighing in on what I'd done wrong. And I just had, it was at a time when I had absolutely no confidence. It was just, it was two years ago. And I just think I was in a lull and I just thought I actually had like a panic attack the night before one of the calls. I was like crying. I was like, I can't do it. I, maybe I should quit. Like this guy nearly made me quit freelancing. I was stressing so much about my ability to do the job and like having to face the consequences on a call of being shit in front <laughs> of everyone and um and at, at the end of it I, I kind of went to my discord group that i'm in the uh, female copywriters alliance and i went into the problem channel and i was like hey guys i'm in this situation this is what's happened it's clear to me that he needs brand development um, but he thinks that he just needs a landing page. But what he's asking me for on the landing page is, is branded copy. And he doesn't have any brand. And I was like, I'm stuck. Everyone came forward and they were like, I do brand, I do brand. Like, just refer him to me back out. And I was like, oh, thank fuck that. So that's what I did. I was like, look, guys, you, you don't need me. You need someone else. I'm out. Here's a list of people that you need to contact who can help you. Never call me again. 
<laughs> Bye. All right, so so let's let's um, you know put aside the uh, the complete fuckwits of the world out there, and what about um, like tell me about your fa- most favorite project, like just something that you've just gone like like you couldn't either believe you've you've just nailed it, or you know you know that you've just done serious magic with the words. Oh, that's got to be Electric Sugar Elopements for sure. The the Las Vegas Elopement Company. When when they, in fact, Rose Crompton referred the work to me, and I do believe she's based in Australia. Um, or I could be completely lying about where she's from. Um, but she uh, she was on maternity leave, and she said, like, my client, they're launching a sister company, and they need someone. You'd be perfect because um, we're alternative girls together. Um, and when they said, you know, we're a, a, an elopement company based in Las Vegas for alternative couples, we're an inclusive company, so it's anyone, anyone who wants to get married. We want our copy to be for everyone. And um, I myself eloped to Las Vegas when I was 25 and had an alternative wedding. And also I subscribed to Rock and Roll Bride magazine nice. as well, just for fun, because I like it. Um And I just thought, holy shit, is this for real? And there wasn't even any question about, oh, do we want to hire her? Like straight away they wanted me. And I just thought, I can't believe I'm getting paid to write this and to have full creative control. Mm -hmm. They're really nice people, like unbelievably nice women. Um, The feedback was always really well delivered. Like they were considerate they were thoughtful um it was great yeah i just loved it i loved every part of it and then nick parker reached out to me last year i think it was and asked if he could feature it in the tone knob newsletter and he's featured brands like pen halligan's and you know the cia so to have my work held up to that standard you know, clearly some fancy agency or some really ridiculously qualified writers have been working on that. And this project is just me hitting around creatively. Um, it was wild. And um, I think it also really demonstrates what I'm about really nicely as well. So if anyone's ever kind of wanting to know the type of thing that I like to do, that's always the portfolio piece that I bring out um in terms of it communicates the brand really really well it captures the ethos it captures the vibe it and what i really like about it as well is it builds on the excitement like people are looking for options for like one of their best days of their life and so on the website i was like you know we're here for you like what do you want to do like bring us your mood board give us your favorite music video we'll make you look out of the pages of rolling stone magazine That's like awesome. we've got professional photographers it's your day what do you want to do like hit us up we're excited and um i referred to the the planning team as like meet your squad and it was like this is your you know planning squad we'll get it done for you we've got connections like where do you want to go the red rock canyon or the neon graveyard or like what do you want to do and it was, it's a really nice world to inhabit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? When you're writing something, you have to be in that world and to have that excitement bubbling around when you're writing and to be in that mindset of like, we're planning our wedding. Like, what are we going to do? This is going to be crazy. Uh, it was a really nice place to be in. So I just love it. 
It must have been incredibly fun to write for, as you said before. Absolutely. If you could uh, step back from that for a second and just peer into the crystal ball for the moment, what do you think's going to happen to freelance copywriting or just copywriting in general in the next few years? It's an interesting question. I think I I believe it was Joe Jeffries on LinkedIn. I'm sure he'll correct me if he hears this and it wasn't him. He wrote uh, an article on LinkedIn about the future of copywriting now that AI is on the scene. And as a translator, he said that he's been through the situation before where clients now have options. They can either go 100% computer generated, they can use a mix, or they can have an expert writer involved if they've got the budget. And I think that that's where we're headed as well. Hmm. You know, clients and businesses will have the opportunity to DIY their own copy more so than they ever have before. But I think they're going to go forward with an underlying feeling of insecurity that the copy is bullshit because it will be. Um, <laughs> and I think that they're going to kind of try and find a happy place and be like, okay, for the small bitty pieces, we'll use AI, but for the really important stuff, we'll get a writer or we'll bring someone. And I mm. think it will be like that where um, we learn to integrate our services with the robots. I think that's where it will go. Um, I also think, yeah, yeah, I, I'm optimistic in that marketing and adverts will become more innovative because there's so much more available to us now. But when I look at what's out there currently, it feels mostly like bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I have to admit, like, um, and I've talked to this with other guests as well, but, you know, I, I can really see this division happening now amongst brands who or businesses who've decided to go with like oh we're just going to fire our copywriters and spend twenty dollars a month on chat gpt and we'll we'll just parse all of our stuff hey junior social media guy can you just like learn how to use this tool now and immediately become like an, an amazing copywriter and it just doesn't work so i think you're absolutely right like the the little bitty pieces where they'll just oh, we need a, a blurb for this, a, a product description just to slap on the side of a box, that kind of thing. Yeah, it'll, they'll, they'll do it. Or like a job advert or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they'll do that kind of thing. But then if anything that actually requires thought and strategy behind it, I think, is where they'll start to come back to copywriters. The downside to it, I think, much like when we saw um, you know, SEO writing back in you know 10 years ago or so, then everyone was like, oh, I'm an SEO expert I just because I just fell out of a company and I put it on my resume, right? Um I think we're going to see like this big glut uh, for maybe a year or so of people just you know going away from copywriters for a bit and and starting to try and explore the tool set. But then once their customers start to you know spin in the wind, they'll they'll come right back. I think at that point though there'll be there'll be no no opportunity for them to to do anything else, and they'll 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 pay for it. Unfortunately, I agree. I think that we'll end up with a lot of businesses who sound painfully average, and I think. My biggest worry is that there are a lot of businesses that don't mind sounding painfully average. I mean, I, I see it wherever I look. And that's what makes brands like Monzo stand out so much. Because they're anything but painfully average. Or Innocent Smoothies, which is everyone's favourite, to kind of point fingers at and be like, oh, that's so kooky. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you just... I don't think... I mean, a robot could could fake that but i think that the 
real enjoyment is rooted in human experience for brands like that. Just really relatable moments and little quips, like what your sarcastic friend would say. There's a really raw human element in that that I just don't think AI could capture. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I think that businesses will be trying to do that with an AI. And I'm not sure it's possible. Have you seen anything come through, at least in your daily practices, um, where the jobs are changing at all? Like, isn't they've gone from yeah. write this stuff and now it's now, can you copy edit this? It happened to me recently and I was so insulted. Um, <laughs> just because of the situation, it's a, a colleague I used to work with. They approached me when I went freelance. So I've been writing for them for about six and a half, seven years for, for their business. Um, I'm their only writer. I helped them, you know, with their rebrand. I All of their copy goes through me. They've become very successful. I like to think I've got a stake in that because I'm the one writing all the marketing. Um, and they, a couple of months ago, they briefed in um, a job where they would need a, a sample pack and they wanted a letter and a leaflet and they needed to kind of rejig some of the fake companies on the labels in the sample pack and I was like great 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 uh so I did the letter for them and they're like the rest will come through later I was like sick a month goes by and they come back and they say that they've used chat gpt to write the rest of the content oh boy we were just experimenting just to see if we could cut the word count down we won't be using it for anything else this is a one-off um so if you could proofread it and I was like I'm sorry you are asking me to give up my time to proofread copy written by a robot, copy that was taken from my taken off my plate, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how about no fuck you? How about that? <laughs> how about I've got better things to do with my time than run around after your fucking robot? If you want to use a robot, mate, use the robot. Like, I'm not cleaning up after your fucking. I was like, if anything, it's going to need editing because the robot doesn't know your tone of voice. It doesn't know the format that you're writing for. I'm willing to bet that you didn't take the time to say, can you do it in a voice that is this, this and this, and it needs to be formatted for this. And I was like, so it needs editing and the time it would take me to edit, you may as well have just paid me to write it because it's going to be just as expensive. So who's a winner here? Because it's not you. Yeah, I, th I think that's that's a pretty common thread that I'm seeing amongst other copywriters uh, mentioning the same thing is that when they've had to sort of take on jobs that have been written either by Bard or ChatGPT or one of these other AI tools, that it's often the words are okay, but the tone is way off, yeah. that the sentiment is completely out the window and they basically take like the first line and go, all right, we'll scrap the rest and see what I come up with and you know, get to a better place, of course, with sort of you know, what the entire intention of that piece was. So, um, yeah, it's, and I think it's that, that's the the key to this whole thing, I think, that's going to cause brands to be, as you said, go sort of that, that middle space and be really mm. bland and generic and eventually hopefully realize that and come back. I think what they're going to do, like what you said, I think they're going to kind of do an input, get a piece of copy. They're going to know it's not quite right, but they're not going to know why. Mm. And yeah. then they will hire a writer to look at that. And then the writer will be like, it would have been cheaper if you had just hired me to write this because editing takes so much longer and this needs yeah, a complete absolutely. overhaul. Um, yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. And that will annoy me more because I'd rather just be fresh into the job 
than have to handle a secondhand piece of copy that essentially needs to be completely eviscerated and reassembled and redone. It's just a lot more hassle. Just to um, com- compare the competitor, of course, I've, I bought myself a, a license of ChatGPT or a, a, an account um, and I've been playing with it for months and months and months. And one of my favorite things is just that even if you try and like feed in all the brand tone, even if you feed everything into it, um, that you expect that you'd need like an out of a good brief into the, the tool, it, get, it just starts to become really derivative. It, it Even if you say like, you know, I want it to be a little bit like this format, but not quite, can you rewrite it to be to be like unique to this brand voice? It just starts spitting the same stuff out and it, it'll like change three words in a sentence. So it'll be like a bit more, a bit a little more evocative, but not in the way you expect it to be. So yeah, I think that- yeah. Brands are going to find that out pretty pretty quickly, and uh, I hope so. I mean, it's useful to, as a creative prompt and as an idea generation tool. I like to kind of feed stuff into it and see what it what it spits out, and yeah. you know, bits and pieces of that are useful as components in an overall piece that you would write from scratch. But I, I really don't think because I had one blog post I was trying to write and it was a rewrite of an evergreen post for a client. And one part of that was, um, I think it was a personal statement. And it's like, this is an example of a personal statement. Hmm. And I was like, well, we need to rewrite this. So, and I was like, I can't be bothered to rethink of everything for this personal statement. I've already written this blog post. That's what's important. So I was like, chat, can you rewrite it? Just jig it up a little bit, rewrite it a little bit. Um, And it gave me back something that was so incredibly similar. And I just kept asking in different ways and it just couldn't do it. And I was like, do you know what? I'll just do it myself. All right. It was a simple job that I felt I could have trusted you with and you're not capable. The longer you get in the chat run of as well, the more you ask of it, the more it spits out more content. And you're like, not quite like that, but can you add this to it, please? It just starts to keep going back over old territory again and again and again and again. Never actually gets the point. Yeah. So look, talking about obviously tools then, what sort of secret tools and resources do you use? Or is there something that just you, you, you know, it's your ride and die, you, could, you just couldn't live without? Do you know what I do use a lot that I, I don't know if it's specific to me. I'm a very visual person. And in order to capture the mood of something, I need to be able to see like a variety of images So what I like to do sometimes is go to Pinterest and type in what it is I'm trying to generate a headline for or whatever and look at all of the images. And for some reason, that really does it for me. Yeah, me too. It's it's one of those sorts of like weird, it, it's sort of like a just a curated mood board that someone's thrown together that's exactly on topic to the thing you're looking for. Mm. It's kind of one of my one of my like ultra secrets that I don't tell many people either that I use Pinterest a lot just to be able to get like into the the language and tone of a thing. Yeah, yeah. I need to kind of capture the vibe. Yeah. And for some reason nothing quite does it like a like an image. Or if I'm trying to think of a really clever caption or headline, I go to a greeting cards websites. Like Scribbler is my favourite one. Yeah right. And I'll have a look at greeting cards. And they've always got really clever puns or wordplay and stuff. And it really starts to get me thinking of the potential because you don't want to use, you know, something as generic as like double the fun or um, twice as nice or yeah, like double right. trouble. I'm like, what What else is there to do with, you know, this type of thing that we could be drawing on? 
And so, yeah, greeting cards, websites and Pinterest, I think are my two kind of secret weapons. But I don't know that that's going to work for everybody. No, probably not. I but couldn't it, even really describe how it works for me, really. No, but it's. I think it's just it's just that immersion. It's getting in there and, and just letting it wash over you and then you go away and have a cup of tea and go to bed and come up, wake up the next morning and like, I got it. I, I got that, that exact thing I need. So, hey, if it works for you, you know, keep it going. If you can turn the clock back to right when you were just starting out, like or even even maybe just as you get into freelancing, um, what are three pieces of advice you'd give to yourself as a, like a fresh-faced freelancer, newbie copywriter? Hmm. I think the first thing I would say is get involved with the freelance community as early as possible because I kind of came to them maybe a year or two years into the process and the whole community is just essential for freelancers not just because it's like having hundreds of colleagues and colleagues are the one thing I really really missed and I loved my in-house position that I was in part of the reason I had to leave is because I was so comfortable and so happy that I could have just cruised on by just loving life with all my colleagues and I didn't want to be that comfortable so having colleagues as a freelancer is so important and also you learn so much from them people will be sharing their proposals or their you know terms and conditions or things they put on their website that covers them for this or that and even something as simple as my my witchy newsletter that I have, the Copy Coven, that was not even my idea. That was a bunch of people from the freelance community being like, why don't we have anything like this? Emma, where are you at? Like, why have we not got this? And I was like, oh, I better get on that. <laughs> um, yeah, they're essential for, for referrals. A third of my referrals come from my peers. Um, and just, yeah, learning. And even just support, troubleshooting, like they're just essential. So I would say freelance community first and foremost. Um, I need to find two other things now, bloody hell. I would tell myself, <laughs> stay away from content mills and bidding sites. Because I did very briefly fall into that trap because I thought, you know, that's a surefire way to get clients. That's how they pitch themselves. Like we've got hundreds of clients, you know, just advertise yourself. Um, it was bullshit. It was a nightmare. I hated it. It was shit. <laughs> I got out of there pretty quickly. Uh, after like a month, I was like, why do I hate my life? Could it be this content mill slash bidding site? Um, in fact, the first difficult client I ever had was before I'd even gone freelance and I picked them up off of Upwork and they didn't want to pay me. They'd, they'd outsourced a load of copy to india and they wanted me to edit it oh that's... and it was the wow. longest most difficult most thankless chore and then they um tried to get out of paying me for it oh, wow and i was like wow this is a trial by fire mm. for freelancing little did i know it's just the type of people that typically hang out on those types of sites are trash so <laughs> i think i'd say stay away <laughs> stay away from that and then i think i'd also I was pretty ballsy back then. I, I'd like to say, don't count yourself out of the running. Like, that's not your job to do. I think apply for whatever you want to apply for, pitch for whatever you want to pitch for, because it's not your job to say you're not right for this. It's the client's job. So stop telling yourself that you're not qualified or that it's not quite, a, you know, 
if you want to do it go for it let them decide what they want to do I think that's what I would say as well because a few things I was like oh I'm not quite um established enough to go for that and nowadays I'm like fuck it just do it get out of the way just put in for it yeah I've I couldn't I couldn't agree more I I think when I first started doing copywriting, one of my first clients was like a big multinational, multi-million dollar building company and who wrote software. And, you know, I charged them a ridiculous amount for three emails. And I would never have got that had I not like, you know, turned around and just gone, well, just throw my hat in the ring and see what happens. And, you know, lo and behold. Exactly. Yeah, I've got this little saying where I'm like, if you apply for it, it's 50-50 that you could get it or not. If you don't apply for it, it's 100% not going to get it. Yeah, exactly. So wouldn't you rather have a 50% chance of getting it than a 100% chance of not? The best advice I could think of even just for like anyone starting out right now would be absolutely mad not to just throw their hat in and then, you know, freak out when they get it and go, oh my God, how do I write that? And and Google it and work it out, right? Like it's, it's just, you've got the time to do it, so do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I was I'm always, even to this day, so tempted to turn down work that is really ambitious. Hmm. Like last year, I got given the biggest job of my career in terms of like a dream job. And my first instinct was to just say no. I was like, I'm petrified. I can't do it. It's it's too big for me. I'll, ne- I'll never manage it. I'll fuck it up. Like I, ca- I can't. I have to turn it down and it really took everything in me to accept the work and just get the fuck on with it i basically had to give myself a pep talk every day going over why i was qualified to take the work which i was more than capable pulled it off it was all great best thing i've ever done but at the time i really wanted to say no and it, it happens every time every time i get a really good sexy job the paranoia that i'll get in my own way or that i won't be able to do it um i think it's it's always there like but what 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 if you can't but what if you wreck it but what if you get it wrong like i love that though because it it just it just goes to show that like even you know seasoned copywriters like yourself you know imposter syndrome is still a bitch you know it's still a thing that's there sitting in the background like trying to burn your house down you know every time you, you find one of these big clients if anything, it's even worse because I've garnered something of a reputation where everyone's like, Emma's great, she can do anything. So then you're like, if I fuck this up and everybody sees, oh my God, <laughs> I will just die and that will be it. I'll have to give up freelancing for good and just become a nun on a mountain in a monastery or something. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like it could be a fun life, maybe. I don't know, maybe not. I could really tear shit up as a nun. <laughs> I can see you to be like a pretty, uh, pretty out there nun. <laughs> yeah, for real, like the cradle of filth uh-huh. style nun. Oh yeah, yeah, wow. Okay, so wake wake up in the morning and and make sure you your uh, your black nail polish is on right. And, yeah, for sure. You know. And a crucifix isn't just for praying. No, it's it's it, especially with the the hole drilled in the bottom and it's upside down, right? So yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, in the last couple of minutes, Emma, uh, tell us uh, where can our listeners find more of your brilliant work online? You know, give yourself a shameless plug. Well, the great thing about me is that I cannot be found. No, no, for real though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me on TikTok um, at EJ Cownley. Um, I have quite a lot of fun over there. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, just generally 
hitting around but in a helpful and useful way that it is entertaining to read amongst all of the corporate posts um also at jotjotboom.com which is my business um i'm over there as well um and that's where my portfolio is but there's loads of secret items that i can't publish so if anybody ever wants to hire me for something that's not represented i've probably got little portfolio pieces squirreled away that I'm not allowed to share publicly as we all have. But yeah, that's just where I am. Well, look, you know, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. I've enjoyed myself completely. Hope you have. Yeah, of course. Yeah, wonderful. And look, you know, I'm, I, I have no doubt the listeners are going to be you know, absolutely tickled about you being on the show. Oh, well, I hope so. <laughs> Cheers. I'll see you next time. Bye. All right, Word Wranglers, we've scribbled our way right to the very end of another thrilling episode of The Right Shift. A massive thank you goes out to my guest today, Emma Cownley. To learn more about Emma and the amazing stuff she's putting out into the world, check out her links and the links she mentioned in the episode show notes. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of our sponsors. And if you'd like to become a sponsor of The Right Shift, head over to therightshift.com and hit the Become a Sponsor button in the menu. Also, don't forget to follow and subscribe to The Right Shift on your favorite podcast platform so you won't ever miss an upcoming episode. And while you're there, if you've enjoyed listening to The Right Shift today, then leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you've listened to the show. It helps more people discover the podcast and join our ever-growing community of phenomenal freelance copywriters. But until next time, remember, you've been listening to The Right Shift.